Hello and welcome to Show and Tell, the podcast series from the RPG Academy, where we bring on a guest, or guests, and we talk about something cool. Today's guests are Alex and Sean from Humanoid Games, and today's something cool is the cyberpunk game Identico, which will be coming out on Kickstarter in the near future. Not exactly sure when this is going to come out, but there's a good chance if you're listening to this, it's on Kickstarter now or will be in the very, very near future. Sean, Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, man? I'm doing great. It's a uh, Sunday morning. Been up for a while doing some editing. A little earlier on your side of the world, right? We're, we are. We got the the coffee IV going on this side <laughs> of the world. <laughs> we are in Seattle, so it works. So just for voices, if you guys don't mind, just saying hi so that the people listening will know whose voice goes to who. Oh yeah. Hi, I'm Sean. Hello, I'm Alex. You guys sound a lot alike, so that may not work. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> but we'll figure it out. We spent too long together, Alex. <laughs> it, it's that Seattle overpronunciation, you know, accent. Everybody keeps telling us we have accents up here. I've never really heard it, but it's coming says to the man that's from the deep south. I was like, going to say, Alex, does... I think Alex has a southern accent. Like, I, I picked up on that when we were playing the game. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and it's the opposite, so. <laughs> it's, I mean, it did. I thought you had a bit of a southern, southern uh, not draw necessarily, but I, I thought there was something coming from America from southern. There you go. Years of TV production has paid off for me, yes. So the release <laughs> schedule is still a little bit up in the air, but we did a trial of your game, Identico. So I'm going to assume that this is coming out just before or just after. Uh, so we can talk about the game a little bit, but either way, you will be able to hear uh, the game being played <laughs> around the time that you're listening to this. So I guess I'll start with you, Sean. Uh, what is Humanoid Games? And then we'll turn it over to Alex so you can talk about Identico specifically. Okay. Uh, so Humanoid Games is our uh, publishing imprint and design studio. Uh, and Identico is the first sort of publication that we're coming out with. Uh, but it was it, it born out of sitting in a, uh, a PAX uh, line waiting for their actual play, Acquisitions Incorporated. Uh, those lines could be two, three hours long. And we kind of just got to talking and things like that. And we had hung out and run games before Alex GMing a lot for us uh, in riffs at the time. Uh, and we kind of looked at each other and we were like, you know, there's not, a, there hasn't been a really good cyberpunk game in a while. And right then and there, we whipped out a notebook that we just happened to have in one of our backpacks or like that and started drawing uh, all the, the text and things like that for it. Uh, and then humanoid sort of born out of that. It was one of those things of, you know, I, I worked in use and publishing, uh, and in my day job of, of dealing with a lot of that stuff. And it's like, well, we should have an imprint that we can, you know, publish all this stuff to. And, you know, what are we going to kind of do? And we kind of threw around all these names and stuff. And we came up with, you know, the idea of humanoid just being fun. And, you know, we have an alien as a, uh, a mascot and is part of the logo and stuff like that. And so it just kind of can be became like a really fun sort of like idea of, you know, we make games for everybody. You know, our first imprint is an RPG, which is one of the most like open world kind of ideas. You can do anything with it. Um, and that's sort of our mantra of that. You know, we have a lot of other games in the hopper once we get Identico done. But, you know, just kind of something that could be fun, something that could be playful and, and really just go out and meet people and, and have a good time with. All right, very cool. And so, Alex, tell us a little bit more about what Identico is. So when we when we first conceived of Identico, one of the the concepts we came up with because there's there are a couple other cyberpunk games out there that everybody's very familiar with, but the thing that really struck us was that they all had a really fantasy element to them, right? I know you're wrong, like I love like Shadowrun and things like that; they're great. But I was like, you know what I want is I want cyberpunk without elves and orcs, 
you know, I want something that is kind of that more hard sci-fi. I grew up reading a lot of the really hard sci-fi from the the 50s and 60s. And we said, can we develop a game that has like strong hard sci-fi bases? You know, can can we have something that is that everything that you see you can go, oh, that's something that's actually real in real life, or you know, and we've just you know taken it to that next logical conclusion, that next step, and so that was that was the idea. Um, and actually, it's it started out very very crunchy when we did it that way, and we were like, okay, we need to step this back a little bit. But uh, yeah, that was the idea. So, have either of you prior to Identico designed anything? Like, do you have a background in game design or are you just lifelong gamers and have all that sort of, you know, experience by osmosis? More the lifelong gamer. Sean, as, as you mentioned, has a background in publishing. Uh, but I mean, I've been gaming for gosh, almost 30 years now. And I started with really, really crunchy games. Uh, anybody who who's familiar with Palladium Books, you know, knows that their stuff tends to be really, really crunchy. And so that was where I started when I was nine years old. Just... <laughs> Just going, oh, look, role-playing games. Look, advanced calculus for nine-year-olds. <laughs> yes, this this book looks like charts and numbers. Yay! <laughs> so it was one of those things, and, and after, you know, 25, 30 years of, of playing pretty much any game I could get my hands on, and, you know, being the constant critic, you know, and, you know, this game's good, here's why, and this other game's great, and this one's bad, you know, I said, you know, the big thing that we want to do is at least put something of our own out into the world. You know, if I, I can be more than a critic and say, hey, we at least went out there and said, this is what we think is a really good game. We want people to try it. We're going to put it out there and, you know, basically have that, you know, we want to participate, not just be critics. I think uh, there's a lot of people, I think, that would identify with that. Uh, you know, I've, you know, I've been role playing for a very long time. I uh, I pretty much D and D is my favorite game. Even though the more and more experience I get with other games, I can see the value in playing a game that's more aimed towards the sort of the feeling that you're trying to get, like dread for horror that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still I want to have it be my version of D and D. So I I have a few house rules that I use just so I can kind of say this is mine. Yeah. And as someone who you know has said before, I want to be a writer. I've I've written stories. I've worked on a, a novel for like thirty years. I can't ever get it done, and it apparently sucks because no one will publish it. But you know, <laughs> it's like I want to be a part of that community, so I want to put something out there. So j- I completely understand that desire just to say this is ours. Have you thought about self-publishing your novel? Um, I I have, but it's it's no. I, I literally again not to talk about me, but I wrote the whole thing, and then I got rejection letters which are very common obviously uh so i decided to blow it up and redo it and it's never got put back together and i don't think i have the original version saved anywhere where it was actually complete oh but i can at least (laughs) say i did write a novel yeah it apparently wasn't good but i did write it It had a beginning had a middle kind of had an end because it's supposed to be like a you know a trilogy and i'm I'm proud of that but eh, you know looking back on it, it wasn't very good don't listen to the critics. Yeah. So the the first thing we actually published, and I um I don't know if you you glanced at the website. The first thing we actually published as we were kind of doing the world building for Identico, was again going back to that kind of hard sci-fi route. We published a book of short stories under the humanoid imprint that take place inside the game world of Identico, and so we called it In Defiance of Chaos, and it kind of introduces a bunch of the 
the the key NPCs and the key factions and the key corporations and and tried to give people a feel for what this world means, right? Who's who's out there making the world turn, and you know, kind of give people that that ability to go, hey, with you know, because a lot of us get character ideas and campaign ideas from reading books and watching movies and things like that, and so when we published the book of short stories, we said, well, what we want is we want people to read this book of short stories and go, oh, this is where I'd put my character, or this is who I'd go up against, or this is where I'd align and things like that and so you know there's there's definitely value to using that that fiction writing to you know do that game development to do that world development and that's the first thing we published and so it's actually available now you don't get that <laughs> what's what's funny about that book too is that uh one of the characters in the book actually came out from the initial alpha playtest of the game over three years ago like the, our, one of our one of our friends uh played one of the operative characters wrote this whole backstory for the operative before he even got to the game, uh, and then just took the events from the game that we played, spun that off, and then did his own little arc to it. And it was it was crazy. So, so uh, let's talk about the game in some specifics. Um, I am I'm not generally a fan of cyberpunk. It's just not something that ever really in- interested me. I remember watching Blade Runner, the original, back in college, and like, eh, it's okay. Like, it just, I, I didn't have a strong connection to that. So let's assume that the audience may be just as ignorant as I am. So let's talk what quantifies a game as cyberpunk. There's a setting in the style of science fiction where you have taken things and they've gone maybe to their next natural like level. Like we live in a little bit of a cyberpunk world now where, you know, computers are monitoring you. It's, it's not dystopian per se, but it's almost social dystopia. We're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. There's a lot of things that we've written for the book that have happened now, and we're like, Ugh, dial it back. <laughs> <laughs> Scared ourselves. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of the social dystopia where, you know, people almost embrace the technology, you know, in, that, in, in the ways that it works in the world. But it's taken to that, that sort of next logical step of playing it out in your head of like, okay, what could happen here? Knowing that, you know, man is fall- fallible and knowing that people cannot necessarily be trusted in a lot of ways with with the technology with with the eyes on everything you know where does it go from there um and how do people respond and act and and kind of live in that sort of thing and we get you know we we do get a lot of that here in uh 2017 and so it's you know how does it how does it manifest itself if if the people have more options you know back in the or, or further out into the future there's a big social and political element to, to cyberpunk when you see it in cyber in science fiction. And so the big thing I would I would say take away from from cyberpunk, especially these days, is that that constant feeling of big brother knowing everything about you. Every time you go to the grocery store and put in your little, you know, hey, this is my shopper card number and I'm going to get a discount this way. You're giving them data everywhere you go, every tweet, every Facebook post. Every everything that you do leaves these little tracks of data behind. And within our thing, it's it's imagine that and then imagine the surveillance state and then actually put some thought behind it. Have somebody not just it be a bunch of random different corporations or different groups, but have it be, you know, these very select ones who are looking for that data and trying to turn it into a commodity. Yeah, I find, you know, again, I understand it's not as complex as that, but it's still a little bit unnerving. Like, I'll go to Amazon and, like, maybe I'll search for, like, a new microphone or there's a new game I'm thinking about getting. You know, I do the thing where I, I look at it and I put it in my cart, then I take it out type of a thing. And then the next time I go to another website, 
there's an advertisement for that product in the corner. It's like, oh, dude, that's weird. I can neither confirm nor <laughs> deny how they do that. Uh, <laughs> let's just say we know how it's done from the inside um, <laughs> and why it's done from the inside. Uh, and that's that's actually at the heart of the corporations in our game, really. Um, they aren't doing things that they feel like are evil. They think that they're doing things to help society. Society itself has kind of, I mean, we see the political kind of spear as it is right now. We see some of the social aspects of it. You know, they feel like they can actually take on a lot of the issues facing the world and that they know the best way to do it. You know, um, you take a Elon Musk and, you know, go it. You know, he's already kind of a bit of a weird character as it is, but you know, you take it to the to the next level of that, right? Uh, he thinks he can save the world in some ways, or could at least control it to where it, you know, stays profitable and stays peaceful and things like that. And so, um, you know, it's there's a there's an underlying message, especially in the first chapter where we lay out the world as to why it became the way that it is. Um, we're pretty proud of that kind of social message to it, and you'll see it kind of repeated throughout the book and throughout some of the the play tests that we do of like, you know, people have the power to change things around them. And when they give up the app, you know, when they have apathy and they give up that right to do the things that they want to do, then you're left with the world that we have in the game. Um, and so it's sort of, you get, you get to have a choice of, you know, one of three ways of starting in the game. Uh, and what you do from there really kind of dictates how the rest of the world is going to see you, you know, and, and your identity in that world is what is, what are you here to do? What is your purpose? And how are you supposed to, you know, how are you going to take on this set of circumstances? So, uh, you know, again, I've, I've played the game once. It was, I, I didn't have a lot of the rules. I had to kind of have the cheat sheet. I had the character sheet. We, you kind of walked us through a lot of stuff. So I'm sure there's big swaths of the game I don't get or don't understand yet. But as far as the setting goes, you, you've touched on it a little bit. But do you want to kind of give us a little bit more about the setting, a little, some little teaser? And then maybe what does Identico mean in the game? Uh, so I'm going to start with your second question first. Um, Identico... Uh, is actually uh, an offshot of Esperanto. Um, and if anybody knows about Esperanto, Esperanto was originally created to be this universal trade and diplomatic language. It just didn't catch on around the world. Um, but we thought that was interesting to to get this this language that was homogenized and drawn from all these different things. It was supposed to be this way of communicating that was supposed to bring the world together, and it, it failed. And the whole concept in the game, kind of going back to the what we were talking about before, was is your identity. That's what Identico is about, right? Who are you as a person? And and all of us as gamers, we create these characters, and each of these characters gets this sense of self. And when we talk about character development and all these things that we want to do, and that's that's the the big element there is who are you? Who is your character? And and how do they relate to the world? And then within Identico, essentially what happens is, is that most of the Western world kind of continues down the path that they are right now, and it leads them essentially to ruin or nearly to ruin. When that occurs, the only people that have any sort of money or power left or the ability to kind of shepherd humanity through what is a really dark time for them are the corporations. And the corporations, you see it now where they do, you know, all this humanitarian stuff and they're, you know, you know, Paul Allen out here, he's building container houses for people and they build farms and they do all this stuff and, and take that to its furthest logical conclusion. The corporations have stepped in and said, you know what, 
the government is, has failed us and everybody else has failed us and society's failing us. So we're going to prop this up ourselves and we're going to recreate it in our own image. And that's what they do. And so much like the, the mining towns of the, the late 1800s, the corporations buy everything and the government basically willingly cedes that power to them. So where it's it's kind of underspoken now where corporations buy elections and things like that, they just stop hiding it. They're just there going, <laughs> hey, we run this. OK, we appoint the senators. It's fine. But. As long as the vast majority of the population is fed and entertained and employed, nobody really complains about it. Sure. And so your characters in this game are the ones who are living on the edge of that, right? Who are looking at this going, uh, no, I don't really think so. <laughs> I'm not sure if I really like this idea. And so that's, that's really where you should do that. And then when you combine those two themes where, you know, your identity and all this metadata you're leaving behind and who are you... And are you just an arm of the corporations? Are you a cog in their giant machine? Or do you want to be something more? And what is that? We also have a second setting to the game, too, because most cyberpunk uh, games only exist in the cities. Um, and a lot of the things that, like you read in cyberpunk culture only exist in these big mega cities and stuff like that. We decided that we wanted to have, you know, what about the people who are left behind? Like, not Kirk Cameron style, but like what, you know, like what about the folks who just didn't make it into the city or they got exiled or whatever kind of thing. And so we have this sort of space in between called the wastes where, you know, they're just people living off the land, um, you know, either by choice or by by circumstance. But that has it, it lends a whole nother kind of credence to the game because they're not exposed to constant surveillance. They're not exposed to all the corporations and both good and bad, you know, the technological advancements that the corporations bring and the, you know, social oppression that comes along with it. You know, how does that work, you know, across those kinds of folks as well? You know, we talk about it in, our, in the narrative book and it's, you know, it's a big place in, in the, the, our, the core rule book as well. You know, so you can, you can actually kind of start either in the boardrooms, you know, working for a corporation in some way, in some capacity, so you see it from the inside. You can start out on the fringe of society, out in the, you know, what we call the fringes, which is, you know, literally outskirts or undergrounds of the cities, where we have what they call grounders who work out in these areas. And that doesn't mean they're not necessarily, you know, it's not like they're, they're Amish where they don't have, you know, any technology whatsoever, but it is a lot sturdier. It's a little bit of Mad Max meets kind of Fallout 4 or, you know, that sort of thing where, you know, they, they just have to kind of make do. With and it's a very lawless kind of wild west town almost, um, which is you know kind of a fun campaign setting as well that we've we played through. So, so a couple things that came to mind to me there to start with. Again, I, I know very little about cyberpunk, but from what I do know and from what from the game we played, there's an element that always seems to be: Are you working for who you think you're working for? And even if you are, do you know why you're doing it? Like, it, there's a constant. Well, we think we're getting this information for this person, but what are they going to do with that information? And who are we taking it from? Uh, you know, there's always sort of a you're 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 swimming in these waters, and you're never really sure which way the current is going. Is that by design? Definitely. Yeah. That's 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 kind of the point. I was I was actually really happy because I think it was uh, uh, who was with you in the restaurant during the actual play. Uh, it was Chris's character, Chris. Flynn. 
Right. And when, when he when he picked up, because I didn't know, I was going to just insert the fact that she was MI6, right? Just to kind of give everybody Spoiler. a little preview. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, but when he picked up on it and just immediately ran with it, I was super excited because it was like, okay, because you and him picked up immediately that there was multiple groups here who were all looking at this same information. And one group who you guys are, you know, uh, aggressing is trying to protect it while everybody else is trying to get it. And so there should be in cyberpunk and in our game this this element of paranoia exactly where we don't know which way the current's going and we have no idea who's watching us or why but we have to do something it it gives your characters a little bit too is you know as they get they progress in the game you become more and more either famous or infamous in some ways we have you know that social aspect kind of built into the game uh and then you start to kind of try to be the one that's putting all these pieces into play uh, and trying to help shape and, and push the narrative forward, whatever it is, you know, you can, you can pick any number of things that you would want to do, but it gives your character a little bit more opportunity to start being necessarily like you might not be the one having to react to that. You might be the one telling somebody to go do that. And you're the one that's putting the second agent in there and stuff like that. So it's, you know, that particular mission, we've played it so many times. Uh, and people always like, they always like, there's like, this is like this weird, like Ocean's Eleven kind of piece to it because there's, there's a, there's an ending to it that you guys, that usually we get through in the longer plays, but you know, it always makes us kind of smile when we see that because like that kind of like heist movie and the sort of episodic style of gaming like that is to us really, really fun. You know, you can start stringing together multiple, you know, multiple episodes of this to make your story arc, but. You know, the idea of just kind of jumping in and having this situation that you have to kind of get through, it just always, it tends to bring out the best in a lot of groups. So it's a lot of fun. Good, you know, whether, whether they're successful or they're not kind of thing, you know, if, if it's almost actually more fun if they screw up a little bit, uh, because it's, because then it's, a, you know, then you gotta like, kind of like work your way out of it and you gotta think quick and, you know, right. um, you know, I, I, I like it when I roll a one sometimes, usually on a stealth check, Alex is giving me that look. Cause I always roll ones on my stealth checks. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> so uh, again, kind of circling back around to the idea of the wastes in our playthrough, one of the characters played the hacker and it, it felt, it felt very much like a wizard. And I, I started calling him a wizard because it <laughs> seemed like what he was doing was magic. You know, Cyber he would wizard. Just, he would just <laughs> wave his hands around and things could happen. You know, doors would be opened or, you know, we could turn on fire alarm. So it, it was very much felt like a wizard that they, they could just do things that don't you know it's a whole te- any advanced technology will appear like magic that's basically what that was there, there it is i was just about to say that <laughs> but, but i like the idea of taking the the hacker and going into the wastelands where they're essentially powerless you know i, I don't know the, the rules as well you're the setting but i have a feeling there's gonna be a lot less manipulation that a hacker could do out in the cornfields than they can in the mid middle of a mega city. Um, and I, I mean, I'm not necessarily for a campaign, but I could, I could see that being an interesting turnabout mm-hmm. uh, for a character to experience, you know, they, they have all this power and then it's gone. And how do they deal with that? Well, it's like, think about dropping like Malcolm Reynolds character from Firefly into the middle of, you know, the Tokyo from Blade Runner, like how out of place he might feel in some ways. Cause he's used to being in, these border towns and stuff like that. Like that's how scrappers feel in the main city. The scrappers are usually only allowed to be at least start out in the wastes. That's, that's a character exclusive to that, to that setting. 
Um, and then likely, like you just said, like, taking the hacker out there, like, yeah, they can help make some computers and stuff like that out there, but they're not going to have, you're not going to have things you can just take down. You're going to have, you know, a much more old school way of getting an alarm if you're trying to sneak up on a settlement or something like that. You know, guard dogs and, you know, trip wires and things like that. You know, there's not going to be this like broadband signal that they can do, you know. And uh, not to give any spoilers to how our episode ended, <laughs> but I, I kind of, again, my limited knowledge of cyberpunk, it feels like I think heist is a great way to frame that. You're not necessarily just going to go in with guns blazing. Like that, that's kind of like the bad option. It's an option, but you would prefer to get in and out without anyone knowing. So just, you know, having those skills, like, so again, the hacker out in the wastelands, you know, just throwing a grenade isn't probably the option you want to go with, but it may be the only one you have if you can't do the things you're used to doing. Exactly. Well, and, and you kind of hit it, hit the nail on the head from a mechanical standpoint. When we were designing the mechanics for this game, one of the things we were we were trying to do was go, okay, this is a cyberpunk world. It's not D&D, and we don't want the characters to feel like they can just be like, let's go guns blazing at every chance, and we're just going to, you know, it'll be fine, and we can just soak the damage. You know, we, we want the game to feel deadly, and we, we know from a mechanical standpoint, the way to do that is to, to design the mechanics to be like, look, guns blazing is not always the best option for you, and it will become very apparent. We had a, a couple characters in the alpha playtest who decided to go sans armor, <laughs> and um, they learned very, very quickly that if you go sans armor, you're in a lot of trouble. And so especially if you decide to go in guns blazing. And so that that's the way to do that is to you essentially incentivize the idea of, hey, is there a way we can talk through this or, you know, socially engineer our way through this this encounter or, you know, should we be sneaky and things like that so that it doesn't turn into what you see in a lot of other, other modern and cyberpunk games where it's like we plan for three hours and then we just threw a grenade in the front door. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you guys uh, you watch the Flash TV show? I do. So I, I enjoy it. I, there are some very ups and downs. Some of the episodes are amazing. Some are like, oh my God, who wrote this crap? But they had an episode fairly recently. It was sort of a heist. And Barry is the Flash uh, sort of co-opted. Oh, the Captain Cold. Yeah. Captain Cold episode. And he's like, there's four steps to any heist. You know, make the plan, execute the plan, expect the plan to go bad, and then to get rid of the plan. Uh, like That's every D&D game. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. The, the, the thing that we love about this, about this particular game is not everything has to be heist-related, but we have tested a lot of different heist scenarios to make sure the mechanics work. And at conventions especially, like your Catacons and Dragonflight and ETX and a little bit even at PAX, where we've been to a couple of PAXs, those kinds of conventions where you get like really good role players that sit down, man, they find just amazing ways to get around certain things that we thought like oh, of course they're gonna have to fight right here this is gonna be a fight right here uh and what was the one we did remember one in singapore where they oh, like started so, a student riot to, so yeah, as a distraction was... or something just social engineered the whole thing you know and then we've had we've had places where they just they get through without firing a bullet they sneak the whole way or they social engineer their whole way that was the singapore one was one of my favorites the nice thing is we've we've run we've got like eight to ten starter modules that we've written for identico and we've run them you know 20 30 times each at these different conventions just kind of showing people the game and testing and 
we've seen it done so many ways. And the, the Singapore one he's talking about, they decided they were, it wasn't just a ride. They were going to, they, they social engineered a social problem where they claimed that this laboratory was doing horrible animal testing. And so they went on the forums for this university and started drumming up, you know, obviously students love to protest. And so they, they, they drummed up all this support for this protest against this other building so they could get the campus police away from the research building they were trying to raid at the same time. And, and it was, it was really amazing to see the different ways people go, how can I, how can I skin this cat? You know, what's what's the different way we can do it? That particular one, I think she rolled a, a nat 20 on one of the skill checks, too. It's a social engineering? One of the social engineering. Yeah, like she did like a nat 20 on one of the charisma checks and stuff to write this. And so, like, from a GM's perspective, we were just, like, licking our chops. Like, oh, how is this going to play out now? Like, we have to give this to them and see how it's going to go, you know? And one of the things I would say, again, just from that sort of design standpoint, and again, no spoilers for how our game turns out. But if you're socially engineering your way into a situation and you get three, four, five steps in and then the social engineering fails, that's a lot to get back out of. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a little bit like Bugs Bunny kind of backing out the room. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, we got all this way with just, you know, talking our way through. And now there's like all these people who now know that we're not who we said we were and we have to go through them to get out. There's a Rav character called Muffins that myself and Joe, who helps us write uh, on the book, created. And there's, you know, we, we joke about it sometimes, but it's it's like the code word is, do you know the Muffin Man? <laughs> and then just all of a sudden, a giant robot bursts through the room. Because <laughs> it's like you can't walk in with, you can't lead with the ace when you walk into the social engineering. But it's just, you know, we do it, we, every, every convention, we do a joke run at the end where it's some, I mean, massive thing or something like that. And it's usually eight to 12 players on a table and just this massive thing that just kind of be fun just to be fun. And we've done this, you know, so many times where like now muffins is like those players that have come to convention to convention with us to play the game. Um, they know if we say to, you know, the muffin man that they know what's about to happen. They just don't know whether he's going to come out and be against them or for them. Cause we've done it both ways. Right. So it's just, you know, the other hell have a lot of fun with it at the end, you know? So I want to talk a little bit about the mechanics as well. So is this system based off another system or is this like whole cloth something you created? And were there any design elements specifically for we want this to feel like this. So how do we design the mechanics to make it feel that way? So it is a whole cloth new system. We didn't use any OGLs to do it. Mechanically, anybody who's played stuff like D&D or Palladium or uh, similar systems should feel comfortable, right? They should go, okay. I see what's going on here, and I can adapt to this pretty fast. Um, but we did create a whole cloth. In fact, the the system has undergone massive amounts of changes since we first conceived of it. Like we had a a ten attribute stat block when we first started. That was genome and phenome, right? Yes, we, that was the original one we wrote up in the line. Yeah, and so. We, we, we did so because it got a little too crunchy. Um, and I don't know if you've had a chance to, to completely finish looking through the book. So it runs on a skill cell slash tree system. And so with the core skills and the sub skills, there's, there's a logical progression to developing your character skill wise. Um, and so we created that out of whole cloth and, and, um, it's again, kind of started huge and we kind of paired it back. Um, but again, it should feel pretty familiar to anybody who's played a D20 system. The thing is, we looked at a lot of the D20 modern stuff. We looked at a lot of the old Star Wars games and 
we looked at Shadowrun, we looked at Numenera, we looked at what else do I have in front of me here? Pathfinder, D and D, you name it. Cyberpunk kind of thing. 2020. Yeah, Cyberpunk 2020 is over in the list too. And the thing that we wanted to do when you're trying to design an entirely new system is I, you know, the thing that we, the tenet, I guess, if we had one, was to say this must be easy to pick up and do at conventions because we want to try to get people playing it as quickly as possible. So how do we explain a game, you know, in like ten minutes? So it has to feel familiar, which, you know, we want most people who can go buy Chessex or, you know, um, all the other dice companies that are out there now, like, go grab one of their starter sets, pick it up, and be able to play our game. You know, they don't need f- special dice, they don't need all this kind of thing, you know, going on. You know, we want them to be able to, like, if you want to play D&D on Tuesday nights, and then you come play our game on Thursday nights, you know, you can just bring your dice, and you're ready to go. I understand a lot of the other systems, we- we've studied a ton of them as we kind of go through, but... At the end of the day, there's something really special about rolling a crit and rolling a crit fail on a D20. Yeah. That is so ingrained in gamers' minds at this point that that elation or, you know, for me, if I was a crit fail, I'm laughing because it's going to be fun, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so, like, there's just something, there's something magical about that. And you want to, you know, those are the experiences you want people to, like, take away from the table. You know, so we just, you know, and we're trying to keep everything fast. Very fast to try to like just make it easy on folks, so you don't have to do a lot of math at the table. Well, and the other thing is, is one of the things that complaints you hear about is is all the combat that takes three hours long. It's like, oh my god, I have to plan my D and D session around the combat because I'm not sure how long it's going to take. And one of the things we wanted to do was avoid that as much as possible. Right? We wanted combat to feel fast. We wanted it to feel active, which is why we did the active defense system. Right. We didn't want it to go around the table where it's like, okay, I took my turn and now I'm not going to roll another dice for 10 minutes. Whereas if you do an active defense system where the the players get to control their defensive actions, you're not just going for an AC there, then they feel more engaged. They know that they could be engaged at any time. So paying attention to the, the tactical situation in the game matters that much more. They're not taking their turn and then zoning out for 20 minutes. So they're waiting for their next one. And the other thing that we know is every gamer knows that they live for those moments. They play for the moments, the ones that you tell at conventions, the stories you tell, you know, 10 years later, like this one time we were doing this and I rolled a natural 20 right when the gold dragon came. The the chance to have those moments when you have an active defense system where everybody's actively participating in both their offense and their defense increases the likelihood of having those moments, right? Because when the player character has the the giant robot who's firing a rocket launcher at them and they're like, oh my God, and they roll that nat 20 for their dodge and they're like, and you're like, okay, well, you roll nat 20 for your dodge. So you do an amazing combat flip into a barrel roll <laughs> where the the missile rolls right underneath you and slams into the wall behind you and you superhero stick the landing. Yeah. <laughs> superhero landing. Superhero landing. Three point superhero landing. Um, those are the moments that everybody wants from their games. Those are the, the things that we all we all love those stories. We love telling those stories. And so we want to increase the likelihood that you can have those stories when you walk away from playing Identico. Uh, one of the, I don't want to say favorite, but it, it was a fun moment for me as for the, the roller coaster of emotion is when I rolled my active defense and I got like an eight and I was like, oh crap. And then you rolled worse. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, I went from, oh crap to yay, like really quickly. And I, that was just a fun little moment the way that my expectations were a little flipped uh, because I roll for defense, but they still roll for attack. So sometimes both of you can roll a three, you know, it's, it, it happens. So that was a fun little thing uh, for me. All right, at this point, hopefully people have been listening. Hopefully they're interested. Is there anywhere they can go 
and check out like quick start rules or get some highlights basics is there a website where people can check some stuff out they can so they can go to humanoidgames.com or playidentico.com that's i-d-e-n-t-e-c-o we see that misspelled a whole bunch (laughs) i'll I'll Uh, put links in the show notes for that too yep playidentico.com or humanoidgames.com and they can sign up for the free beta and all they have to do is, is sign up and they get access to the beta download page and there is a core rule book there, there's a starter adventure there, there is a bunch of pre-gens there's the combat tracker, basically every tool you need, the quick start guide is all right there for you to, to just build a character and play. So then let's talk about the Kickstarter specifically because you guys are going to Kickstarter hoping to get funding to get this game made what is your goal for the Kickstarter? Uh, so we need about 10000 All of that is going to go basically to art, copy editing, uh, and, and the things that are going to make the game fun. So we're, we're trying to get that on there because we can do a lot of different things that we want to do inside the book. We found some amazing artists that we've been working with, uh, and they deserve to get you know fair compensation for all the things that they're helping and putting up with my art notes and things like that. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's going to be great as far as the book goes. Like, we are... We keep getting little pieces back from them now, and that just jazzes us even more to write more, which is great because we, you know, it's it's one of those things where like, you know, we write art notes to the people, and you know, we give them what we kind of what we're thinking about. I try to be as detailed as possible. You know, it's my day job to kind of tell artists what to do, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I don't want to like just leave them in a lurch, and then they take that and they they warp it in some something even cooler than what I I had in my head, and then it comes back and it's just like blown away, like how cool this looks and. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what we're, we're trying to get the art. We got to get the copy editing, all the other little pieces together. And, um, we followed Caleb's advice a lot through the whole, you know, uh, all the things he was doing for red markets. And so, you know, kind of going through all of these things through like that, the, the stuff we've gotten off of RPG Academy and a lot of these other places just to try to like, make sure we are as tight as we possibly can. So when we say, you know, Kickstarter is coming up here, it's going to be out by here. This is what it's going to look like. This is how we're going to make it done. You know, uh, everybody knows exactly what they're getting when they when they donate to us. So Okay, so I usually like to talk to people about sort of like what's the cheapest option. Um, almost every Kickstarter these days has a PDF-only option, digital-only. Uh, yep. I, I assume you guys have something like that. So if I just want to get all the rules, but I want to support you, like what am I going to be looking at to, to jump in? We have a, a PDF-only version for $15. So that will be the the minimum, and that will get you the book. I think the page count is going to come out between two sixty and probably two ninety once we get layouts done. Uh, but you get a the, the PDF version for fifteen dollars, and then we're going to do a soft cover version for thirty five, and then you can do the hard cover version for would you set forty five? I think we're doing it forty five. Yeah. And then um, do you have any like crazy, you know, we'll fly you to Mexico and play a game? So we have a couple of those. So two of the ones we're excited about that we're going to do is you can design either your own rover, which is the the, the robots that you control via telepresence. And so um, we're limiting the backers on that one. But a lot of guys that we've played with have had a lot of fun designing their own custom their own custom bot and so you will get to design a custom robot and we will put it in the book um the other one is you get to design a corporation for the book and we'll work with you to to build your your own mega corp that will stick in the game book and then we're going to do backer level for um we're going to run uh virtual versions of identico either uh like on roll 20 or the equivalent and then we do have a we will run a private game for you at either PAX West or PAX Unplugged 
or one of the other conventions that we're going to be attending in the next year. I did that with uh, Primeval Fool when that came out like three years ago. I, I, I backed it at a ridiculously high level to get to play a game with Rich Baker, which was awesome. I, I can ima- I can only imagine on that one, dude. Yeah. That sounds rad. <laughs> it, w- it was a, a lot of fun. So Kickstarter, again, there's, there's a little bit of wibbly wobbly here because of the timing. It should be out probably late. First week of September, yeah. Okay, first week of September, I assume about 30 days. That's pretty standard for the... Okay. And then we should be looking at releasing the physical books um, either very, very late this year or very early next year. One of the things that we wanted to do when we went to Kickstarter was, was three things. We wanted to make sure that the book was nearly done. And so we've run it um, for, we've been in development for three years. We've run innumerable play tests, both privately and at probably what, seven, eight conventions now. Ooh, it's, we're double digits now. We're double digits yeah. now. Um, 10 conventions now that we've run at just to get a wide variety of people. We've had the beta out for about a year and a half now. So people send us feedback via the beta. And if anybody wants to go download the beta, they could still send us feedback. We're always looking for more information. And that was pretty much where we wanted to be. And we also, that was one of the reasons, the other reasons we published the narrative book was we want to say, look guys, we know how to put out a product. We have, we have written this book over here. You know, we want you to know that this is not something we're just jumping into and we're doing. So, you know, we're at the point where really we need the Kickstarter to, to, to help us take this book from good to great you know, to have that beautiful art direction that everybody really wants to see out of their books right now, which, you know, is not, not free and shouldn't be free. You know, artists deserve right. to be yeah, compensated. Sure. So that's where we are. The other thing too, is if you want to give us feedback on the game, uh, we have a Facebook group. So search humanoid games or the humanoid games yes. on Facebook. Uh, we also have at uh, identico on Twitter. We, both of our Twitter, personal Twitters are on there as well. You can hit us up through the contact form on playidentico.com. Uh, and Identico is on RPG Geek. So if you're a BGG fan, um, I think that's their RPG offshoot of it too. So you can find us all on those. Um, and then we're in Reddit all the time as well like that too. So there's plenty of ways to like chat back at us. So, um, you know, we love to hear from folks. So Okay. And again, that Identico is I-D-E-N-T-E-C-O. Yes. Yep. Awesome. And again, um, I'll have you guys send me an email with all the links you want me to put in and I'll just put them all in the show notes. Okay. Perfect. All right. So... Sort of last chance, carte blanche, is there anything we didn't talk about yet that you feel is very important or you're really passionate about that you think would help maybe tip someone to the, hey, I really want to go check this out. Maybe I want to throw these guys some bucks. Well, that's that's actually a really hard question. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. I think I think at this point, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, you've got you've got a lot of choices out there for games. Uh, you've got a lot of choices out there for, I mean, more and more cyberpunk is starting to actually come up. Um, right now we've seen a few in Kickstarter and stuff. So I think there's, there's a community that is growing that is embracing things that aren't fantasy, um, just for a, a new taste of flavor. And I think that's great because that's the beauty of RPG books is you can have so many different flavors and so many different ways of wanting to do something that you want to do. And we're really just hoping to kind of become part of the family of storytellers that are out there. You know, that's one of the main reasons we started this whole thing is we wanted to tell really cool stories. Um, and I, judging by the people that have sat down at our table, we love every single one of them because they've been awesome. Uh, I cannot wait to see, you know, this get out in folks' hands and see what they can do with it. Um, you know, the sort of shared experience is, is blowing me away from, uh, as in a way that I never thought 
was really possible, honestly. I think that's very well said. And uh, thank you guys both for your time here today. I know we had some scheduling issues as well, so I appreciate you you putting up with my hectic schedule. No worries. Uh, Best of luck to you on the Kickstarter. We definitely will be uh, helping out and trying to get people to go check it out. We'll be checking it on you ourselves. Again, this episode will come out either just before or just after our trial. We, we have three episodes where myself, Caleb, and then Chris and Michael from the Redemption Podcast play through one of your uh, scenarios. It was a lot of fun. And it was hilarious. <laughs> it was fantastic. It, it had some moments. Uh, we're going to do our recap episode, so you'll get a chance to hear our unbiased opinion about what we liked about the game, if there's anything that we didn't like about the game. Um, you know, again, that's that's our point here is to kind of expose people to new things, not necessarily tell them it's awesome if it's not. But we want people to hear us play it, hear it being played, and decide for yourself if you want to go check it out. Sean, Alex, thank you again for your time. Best of luck on the Kickstarter, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, bud. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at vrpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G, and you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening, and as always, if you're having fun. You're doing it right.